and that's why we invited these guys to answer the rest of the Bible's questions. So would you welcome Leonard, Lowell, and Greg, our panelists today. Thank you, guys. So uh, as they come up, I'll explain here a little bit. Uh, these three represent a group of five, actually. Um, Kevin, of course, is, is not among us, and also uh, Gary, that make up the Gray Prey. And Pastor Kevin has talked about his, his Gray Prey group. It's called the Gray Prey because they all have gray hair. Um, is there any other reason it's called the Gray Prey? Because they pray. All right, great. Yes, they pray together on a regular basis. And then uh, you may have seen on Facebook Live, uh, we've been doing 1 Corinthians. So these guys get together on, on Facebook Live through Zoom and, um, and have been discussing the book of 1 Corinthians. So that's going on uh, currently. And you can hop on to the CCS Facebook page every, any Wednesday night at, at 7 p.m. and find these guys. It's been fantastic. So thank you guys for being here. And uh, it's going to be a great, great discussion. But why don't we start off by uh, just introduce yourselves uh, for those that may not know you yet, who you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, and, uh, and how you're connected to our church family. I'm next in line, yeah, obviously, go ahead. I guess. Um, my name is Greg Parker. I know many of you, but then there are some I don't know, especially personally. Um, I came to Christ in 1973 through a pretty miraculous thing. Uh, I've been walking with the Lord so for 47 years. I've been married to a dear, wonderful woman for 44. We have five kids and eight grandkids. Yeah. And um, we've been connected with Calvary, I think, for 28 to 29 years. So we've got deep roots with so many here, and I'm, I'm extremely thankful for that. And um, it's been a um, wonderful thing, a lot of, lot of stuff, a lot of Joseph stuff throughout this whole time. So, My name is Lowell Burrier, and my lovely wife right over here, Cheryl, and uh, we have 17 grandchildren and uh, <laughs> six children. And uh, uh, I've been a pastor for many years in um, other fellowships and uh, have been about 30 years ago affiliated with Calvary Chapel and been blessed. Um, I do outreaches in Renton and Tacoma and do a home group here, and, and my delight is the great prayer time. And so. Right on. Thank you. My name is Leonard Graham, and uh, my dear wife is home. She's uh, on immune suppressant, so she's very careful about uh, where she goes. We don't go very far away. <laughs> anyway. Um, I came to know the Lord as a uh, young child in the Assembly of God Church. The pastor had spoken some things that dug into my heart, and uh, I th that was uh, probably about 72 years ago, so uh, it kind of gives you some indication of my age. Uh, anyway... I've uh, enjoyed serving at Calvary Chapel for 10 years or almost 10 years and retired about 10 years ago or 11 years ago and uh, have enjoyed very much being involved with 
these dear brothers, Kevin and, and uh, Gary also, is, and uh, praying together mainly. It started out that way, and then we've been doing uh, a few other things, like on Wednesday nights besides that. But uh, I've appreciated much the story of Joseph, but uh, as we'll share later a little bit, uh, I think it began with his father, Jacob, Just leave that for a right bit on. of pondering. I believe you have uh, both these guys beat in terms of descendants. Is that right? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so I was trying to think. These guys have taught me so much over the years as I've, I've known them. And I was trying to think, what's the first thing that I learned from one of these guys? And I think it was from Leonard as a young boy. The first two things I learned was uh, don't run in the halls and don't sit on the tables. <laughs> Gives you an idea how long Leonard has been in our lives as a as a uh, part of our family. So thankful for you, brothers. Um, well, gentlemen, the rules of this debate are simple. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We're going to start off with... Uh, Wallace here, by the way. Okay. Yeah, all right. Okay, so as we think about the life of Joseph, these uh, 13 or so chapters uh, at the end of the book of, of Genesis, there's so much there. Um, why don't we start with what, what's one part of the story that you find maybe the most compelling, and why. Greg, would you want to start us with that one? Uh, to me, I haven't had uh, a lot of Joseph experience in the way he did. So I don't relate to that so much. I understand it, obviously, but I don't relate to it personally. But what I do relate to is, how, how many years do you think these chapters took? How many years? You know, this is... Often what I find very intriguing is that the Bible just skips over a lot of detail. I would like to know, and I think it's important kind of thing, but obviously God didn't want to include it in the story, and he, he has large gaps, and so this is not a quick story. And so he had his dream before he was 17, and the next, you know, X number of years, it just moves along progressively. And I think... Um, as I look out at the congregation here, I think you guys in many ways are a lot like each other. We're, like, you were like, we're together in this. And we would like to speed things up. Am I right? How many would like this all to go away right now, like tomorrow? Okay, raise your hand. Come on. If I don't see some hands, I'm not going to believe you. Okay? So, but it doesn't. And one of the things I've pondered so often is that God's not just involved with me. He's involved with all of us. Um, he's bringing many sons to glory, and that is a huge, huge process. And so that's one of the things I am very intrigued with because I can understand it because I'm an impatient person many times. And um, God's got a lot of things he's doing, including a deep, deep work in us. I think the more, the longer we live, we find out how really um, deep the well goes in our hearts of sin and all kinds of issues that only come up when circumstances force it to the surface. Amen. To me, the thing that stands out in this story um, is at the very beginning of the uh, story of Joseph. Um, Pastor Kevin talked about consecration last week. 
uh, Sophia referred to it this morning. It's interesting to note that the biblical account of Jacob coming to the point of consecration took years. Apparently, Joseph crossed that bridge very easily and very early. And, um, um, you know, just to explain what I'm talking about, we become Christians when we recognize our need for Jesus and we call upon him and he saves us and we become Christians. But many times in our lives, there's a second point at which we, at which we come to the point of being ready to lay down our lives to him completely that whatever he desires, wills, and purposes comes to pass. And that took place for Jacob when he wrestled with the angel. For, for Joseph, it seemed to have occurred quite early. Perhaps that's the point at which he had the vision that um, reflected the, the whole purpose of his life. And, um, um, you know, it's interesting uh, when Pastor Kevin was teaching about Jacob loving Joseph, it's not that he loved only Joseph, it's that Joseph, um, uh, let me put it this way, God loves everybody in this world, but not everybody is experiencing the fullness of God's love because many people, like Joseph's brothers, have not come to the point of consecration and trusting God and allowing God to fulfill his purpose and his plan in their life. And um, um, that, that took place for me when I was a student at Ohio State. And uh, my parents got me a Bible for Christmas. I became a Christian when I was 11. Um, went to church, but really never read the Bible. And I read the scriptures and was so touched by what the word said. I came across a passage, and I'm going to share it with you, familiar to many of you, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And that point at which you come and just say, God, whatever your plan is. You know, many of us in our prayer life, we're trying to get God to work on our agenda. And the purpose of God is for us to get, for him to get us to come to the point where we're willing for his agenda to be carried out. And so... Consecration is the thing that stood out here that, that distinguished Joseph. Oh, that's awesome. So, Leonard, what compels you about the story of Joseph? I, I, uh, much like Lowell, I, I uh, am admiring Joseph as a young man and it, uh, his concentration to God. And I wondered, the question came to my mind, what was sown into Joseph as a young man? What did his parents tell him? You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord tells each one of us to speak of these things when we rise in the morning. What things? The things of God and his word and all the things that the commandments that the Lord had given through Moses. But he says, speak of these things. When you rise in the morning, when you go to sleep at night, when you walk in the way, Write them on your doorpost. 
In other words, what he's saying to all of us is use every opportunity that you have to train your children in the way they should go. And I'm sure that Jacob did his best, especially with Joseph, whom he loved, it said, more than the others. And it's not right that we should love one more than the others, but you know that sometimes parents do have favorites. And uh, anyway, that's a sidetrack. But it, but for Joseph, and as as I was thinking about these things, I'm, I'm thinking I went through um, Jacob's history, and it's very interesting. To, uh, I just uh, read you a couple of these. Verses in Genesis 25, Jacob uh, buys the birthright, kind of through deception. It was kind of shown a little bit on that video. In Genesis 27 and 28, Jacob deceives his father and actually gets his father to give him the birthright. In Jacob 28:10, Jacob dreams of God's promise to him. In Jake, uh, Genesis 29, Jacob gets married. Genesis 30 is the birth of Joseph. So you have then about six or seven years. Um, we're not told exactly, but it appears about six or seven years before uh, Joseph continues his trip back to his brother and his family and his home the Lord appears in Genesis 31. The Lord appears to Jacob. In Genesis 31:11, angels speak to him. In Genesis 32, God sends angels, plural, to Jacob. In, in Jacob 32:24, Jacob wrestles with God and was blessed by having his hip put, put out a joint for the rest of his life. In Genesis 35, God speaks to Jacob. In Genesis 35, 9, God is, uh, reappears to Jacob, reestablishing the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, I just wonder, you know, how many times has God come to you in a through a verse, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit over his word, through a, some divine circumstances? Do you tell your children about it? I'm sure Jacob told Joseph. In fact, the one thing that stands out in my life is uh, that I relate to this story and is when I was 12 years old, I went to vacation Bible school, and blessed be the, the uh, pe people that participate in that. Um, but the Lord impressed on my heart. We had to choose one verse to make a plaque out of. And we would, we would wood burn that uh, uh, plaque with a soldering iron, burn it into the, the wood. Mm -hmm. And the verse that the Lord gave me then was Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Yeah. 
to those who love God. And of course, it goes on to say those are called according to his purpose. And we know that from the next verse, Lord, that the purpose of God is fulfilled, that we are conformed into the image of his first son. Mm -hmm. But back then at 12 years old, all I thought about was what a promise that God would work out all things in my life for good mm -hmm. if I would just pay one thing, love, learn to love him with all my heart. Yeah. And somewhere to me that reflects what God Joseph, through the trials of his brother's hatred, of the hatred that they would actually plot to kill him mm -hmm. and then sell him into slavery and then be twisted and put in jail because of a woman that... Uh, he was associated with that uh, wouldn't accept his righteous ways. And uh, then God could use him. Mm -hmm. So I just yeah. stopped and at that, that point. That's great. And that leads, uh, that leads very well into what I want to talk about next. And that is this word destiny. And that's the, the title of our series here. I was listening to um, this great teacher and, and commentator in, in the Calvary Chapel Network, uh, David Guzik talking about Joseph, and uh, he, uh, he's talking about uh, God's plan and God working things together for good. And uh, I just want to read to you this, this series of, of events that took place as, as we think about God's plan. Um, so hang on, because it's kind of, it's crazy. It goes like this. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he never is sold to Potiphar. If he's never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, then he is never put in prison. If he's never put in prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If he never meets the baker and the butler, he never interprets their dreams. If he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dream. If he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he never is made prime minister. If he's never made prime minister, he never wisely administrates for the severe famine in the region. If he never wisely administrates for the severe famine in the region, then his family in Canaan perishes from the family. If his family in Canaan perishes from the famine, then the Messiah can't come forth from a dead family. If the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then you and I are dead in, in our sins and without hope in this world. Are we not grateful for God's plan? So as you think about all that, Joseph was 17, as Greg mentioned, when he, when he was sold into slavery. And so the, the dreams that he had of his brothers bowing down took place sometime before then. And then by the time, uh, I think he was 110 when he died, is that right? Something like that. And so, and he's, so much happened in that period of time. How do you think Joseph thought about his destiny as an old man who had walked with, with God uh, versus a 17-year-old dreamer. And then maybe to add to that, how have you thought about destiny differently as a young man and now today? Lowell, you want to get us started? Yeah. You know, I talked about the point of my... 
of consecration, at that point, God gave me a vision. And it um, motivated me through life. And the thing that I see in Joseph relating to destiny, without that sense of destiny, he would have never made it. He'd have never made it. And unless you recognize what Leonard just read in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, even when they don't feel good. That God has a purpose and a destiny, and destiny in your life. And as many as are called and as many as answer that call and become a follower of Jesus, you enter into a plan of God. And that is a driving force in your life, and you can either fight it or you can surrender to it. And... Um, the thing that I see in Joseph um, that stands out, that flows out of his sense of destiny, is his ability to negotiate interruptions and reversals in his life. <clears throat> and maybe um, you here, in fact, I'm sure that each of you have um, had interruptions and reversals in what you thought your life would play out like. And many times we feel, well, God let me down, or I let God down, or we, we feel like um, things should have turned out another way. Uh, you look at Joseph, I jotted down here that he, um, he goes from a prince to a slave to a prisoner to a prince. Those are radical changes. And he handles them all masterfully. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't experience depression, self-pity, sorrow, remorse, disappointment, anger, all of those things, but he managed those things. And when you and I experience those reversals and interruptions, our, our future is determined by how we manage them. There are financial interruptions, there are family interruptions, there are health interruptions, there are career interruptions, and they are difficult to manage. Um, one of the things that I have learned in my life, um, well, first of all, that I have a will, and that usually doesn't make any difference at all. God has a will and a plan for me, and God is not obligated to carrying out my will and my plan and my preferences. We see Jesus praying in Gethsemane consecrating himself to the purpose of God and going to the cross. God's will is always better than ours. We got an amen at that. Come on. Amen. And God's truth is always better than my opinion. And we need to come to grips with that and accept that in our lives and see him working in our lives and not get thrown off the rails so easily. And to present ourselves in Christian fellowship and before the word of God in great humility. And allow him to instruct us and lead us. When um, I was a young Christian, a scripture that came, that sank into my heart. One is Romans 8, 28, which Leonard shared, and then um, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. In other words, God doesn't need me to instruct him on what should happen in my life. 
according to all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is working in your life. If you are here this morning or you're hearing this this morning and you are not a believer, the Holy Spirit, God is working in your life to draw you to him. If you are here a believer, God is working in your life to bring about a purpose that he has ordained before you were even born, before we were brought forth on this earth. And bottom line, learn to trust God and let your life unfold. Let God work. Amen. So something about these guys when we're together, you can see that it starts to bubble up these intensities and stuff. And we often get... Uh, we seed one another. Yeah. So um, I want to key off of, of Lowell's uh, disruptions. So how many think that this year is a disruption to your plans? Again, I want to see hands. Come on. I want interaction with the audience. Is what I see. Right. There's not a single one of us, I think, that was undisturbed by the events going on. Some more, some less. All kinds of things. And, you know, I, I think it's very important, too, to... We, we got the verse. It's a beautiful verse. Um, all things work together for good. Those... This is in Romans 8, verse 28. Uh, God works all things together for good. All things. So then he says, you know, who he foreknew, he predestined. The, the goal is, like I think both Leonard and, and uh, Lowell have said, it's con confirmation to the image of the firstborn son. That's the goal. It's not to give us a good life, pleasant life. It's not merely that we learn from lessons. It's to conform us to the image of the firstborn son. God wants a huge family. And then he annotates. So he asks these questions. I've often thought uh, the dialogue that happens, it is a dialogue. Uh, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And uh, how many of you believe that verse? Another hand-raising session here. Now, don't you think it's got to be tested? That's right. We really got to find out, do I really believe that? And it can't just take a teensy tiny little event. It's got to take a, some, dramatic, some, some kind of drama. He's got to force it. Um, then he goes in through this little, I call it a dialogue. And I think it's a question and a question answered by a question. I read this a little bit differently than, than it, most of the translations say. It says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him us for, for us all, how shall he not give us also freely all things? All things. Then I think the rest of it is a question and a question. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The God who justifies you? Who is, who is he condem who condemns? Christ who died? If he died on the cross for my sins, is he going to bring a charge against me? Is he going to condemn me? 
How about who's going to separate us from the love of God? He keeps going with questions. Tribulation, distress, persecutions, famines, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he concludes. And this is a pretty expansive list. You can add to it. It's often like the Bible does. It, it gives us enough that just about covers everything and you can insert. So he says all this. I'm persuaded. Now last I know, persuasion comes from going through something and you get convinced about it. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm persuaded. I read something and I'm persuaded. No, you've got to walk through something and then you get persuaded because you come out on the other side and it happened even better than you expected it. Better than you anticipated it at the start. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. That's the end post for human existence. Death nor life. Angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is intended to conform us to the image of the firstborn son. Amen. And that's what this is all about. And that's what the life of Joseph is. Amen. So that's great. Um, so let's talk about Jesus in the, in the life of Joseph. I, we, we're only two weeks into life, life of Joseph, and I think we've heard Pastor Kevin say so many times, uh, it's Jesus all over. I love that. And so where do you guys see Jesus in, in the story of Joseph? It's all over. So uh, I, maybe, maybe just pick one place. You see Jesus in life, life of Joseph. It's all about Jesus, and I just want to focus that. It's all about Jesus in you, in your life, and the outflowing of your life. This is not only a story of Jesus, it's a story of your life and the Lord working in your heart and your life. And um, we look at Joseph, and he suffered injustice. Everybody suffers injustice. Everybody and how you deal with that and uh, your ability to forgive and your ability to put a life together without being a victim determines the outcome of your life. And um, we are, we're in a society that's all caught up in injustice. The cross of Jesus Christ is the solution. Real quick. Um, how, how, does, how does Joseph reflect Jesus? Okay, so who, who are the people that, that instigated the injustice against Joseph? Who's, who, who did that? Yeah, this is the interaction part. I know. Yep, thank you. Let me read here what it says about Jesus in John chapter 1. Okay, he came into the world. This is the word made flesh, comes on the scene. It says, he was in the world. He came, he arrived. And the world was made through him. And the world didn't know him. 
He came to what was his own. It's like you showing up for your house. How many go somewhere, you come back to your house, right? You, you, you go to work, you do whatever, you go school, school, anything. You come back to your house, you come to what's your own. And then it says his own, that means his own people, did not receive him. Who was the uh, instigator of the death of the Son of God on the cross? The Jews. The leadership of his own came to his own people. Those were a chosen race, right? They were, they were the offspring of the lineage we saw up on that, with, that, uh, with that little film, that little clip. His own viciously rejected him. What, what, a number of times in the, in the text, what does it say about them? They didn't like what he said, and then they, what'd they do? They plotted to kill him. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Leonard, do you have any thoughts on that one, where you see Jesus in the life of Joseph? I would just, just say that when you, when you look at the stories, how much you see Christ there. You look at Joseph's story, you just, and then you reflect on what Jesus did for us, and your heart just goes out to the Father in love yeah. and appreciation for what he's done for us. Yeah. How much he loved us. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else can you say? Yeah. It just turns you to the Father. Amen. You were hitting on earlier that preparation that, that Joseph had because of the love of his father, because of Jacob. And, I, and Pastor Kevin talked about that as, that as well. And so just uh, Jesus going through what he went through, motivated by the love of his father for us. And as we, as we experience injustices or people sin against us, may, may we, out of motivation from, from the love of the father, endure it and then forgive as Joseph did. I I would just point out one other little comment that I don't think when Joseph was going through his troubles, I really don't think he thought so much about how poorly I'm being treated. Hmm. Um, I think somehow the Holy Spirit ministered to him and gave him that vision that he had been given before by God. And what it says about Jesus is for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And somehow I believe that um, years ago, I just will say, I want to back up just a little bit, but about 45 years ago, I lost the ends off of these two fingers in a, a... Due to a motorcycle chain, I got caught in the chain and went through a sprocket. And the the extreme pain that I encountered during the two or three weeks that followed that um, was I've never gone through any pain in my life like I did in losing those fingers. And yet, At the same time, the Holy Spirit came to me in a way 
that I'd never experienced before or after. And I often think of the martyrs. When I think of the pain that I was going through, and I think of how the Holy Spirit came and flooded my heart with, with his presence. And I just believe that for Joseph, the Holy Spirit was there. And there was the same experience, in a sense, of God's presence with him that took him through those things. And uh, that's what I think of in that relationship. Yeah, that's good. Well, the word, uh, as you guys have, have interacted with each other over the last several months and on Facebook Live and whatnot, this word keeps coming up, uh, the word pithy. And Greg, did you introduce that to the group? Can you, oh, that was Lowell. Lowell, can you define it for us? What is pithy? Short and to the point. Okay, and you guys do great at that, right? <laughs> you're, all, you're all experienced Bible teachers. Uh, so my last question here, with as, as pithy language as, you, as possible, I don't even know if I'm using that right, short and to the point, how, how should we be encouraged and challenged by the life of Joseph? As we go out from here, again, a pithy statement, how can we be encouraged and challenged by the life of Joseph? We are normal, we are not freaks. <laughs> okay, <but> we, <laughs> I think we might need a little bit more on that. You want a little more? <laughs> live forward, don't live in the past. Life's not about where you've been or what happened. Life is about where you're going and what's going to happen. Mm, amen. Final word, forgive, forgive, forgive. If you have bitterness towards someone, clean up your mess clean up your life, forgive, and carry forward. That's awesome. On that, uh, another pithy statement just came to my mind from uh, David Guzik, and he's, I, I think I've heard it from others too, and he said, uh, unforgiveness is like uh, drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> so, Anyways, pithy statements about uh, how we can be encouraged and challenged by the life of Joseph. Well, I think that was that's a good word we that that Kevin has used to frame the life of Joseph. It's destiny, and so I would say it's kind of an echo, a compliment to what Lowell said. We have to have a firm anchor of our soul set in within the veil during all these times. I really do not think this thing is over by any means, what's going on. And I'm hoping that we would get ourselves set. I, uh, the guys know I, um, I have an association with uh, a group of people that are deeply engaged in the Middle East. Just read an article I passed on to a lot of people uh, about an interview that one of my dear friends, uh, she interviewed one of the uh, underground church leaders in Iran, and uh, I've I've per I've personally had the privilege of meeting that that brother, and um, he had that statement: it, "We have got to have our souls anchored within the veil," and that's where Jesus is, right? 
and it's got to stay there. We've got to really anchor it deep. This is temporal. It is. It's, it's going to be over someday. What happens when this is over is we go into the ages of the ages. One of my favorite verses is in uh, Ephesians. It says uh, that uh, the grace of God, we, we well, I better not trust in my memory here. This happens when you start to get gray hairs. Am I right, guys? Um, this is not pithy, is it? Gosh. I was going to say, Greg. Okay. Some... In the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is not to be compared at all with the glory that will, will be revealed in us when he comes. Amen. We'll excuse the lack of pithiness. Uh, that was good. <laughs> uh, Leonard, any closing remarks? The uh, song that we sung this morning about uh, the kingdom of God, I, I really appreciated that song. I think it was the first time I've ever sung it personally. Uh, but that's where we're headed. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, to close, would, uh, would each of you just pray for us as a, as a church family in light of the things that we've talked about today? And, um, and then as we finish up here, Sophia and the worship team will come out and, and close us in a song. So, Greg, maybe you can start us off. And, Leonard, would you close us? Father, first off, I really want to thank you that for this community of people that I know as Calvary Chapel South. I am deeply blessed, honored, humbled. Uh, I've learned so many lessons here with so many people. Lord, I just lift us up for the days ahead. Uh, I think often of that hymn, I know not what awaits me, you've kindly veiled my eyes, but I have fixed my eyes on you, and I pray that for all of us that would be our lives. And uh, we're going to, this, the night will soon be ended. The day is going to dawn. A day star is arising in our hearts. And I, and I pray for us, Lord, we would deeply learn the things as we walk through this life as it actually is. Not what we want it to be, what it is. And uh, we are going to arrive at that destiny uh, that you have given to us. And we are so thankful. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the, your destiny for us. I pray for this people, Lord, those who have gone through gross injustices, those who are presently going through them, and those who shall yet go through them. That, Lord, you would walk with them, that your spirit would sweeten their hearts, remind them of your presence, your destiny for them, that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Father, as I prayed before we came, Lord, I pray that each person that is here in this room, and I pray that each person that is watching would experience your love through your word, through 
the cross, what you've done for us, and through the work of your Holy Spirit, may they experience you in a real and living way and know that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship?